Welcome to ELT in Chile, a podcast about teaching English in Chile. I'm Daniel Gwynn. And I'm Jose Luis Poblete. And on this podcast, we share our knowledge and experience teaching English in Chile as well as online. In this episode, we're going to continue our conversation related to pronunciation from last episode, but this time looking at it in a more practical way. In addition, we're going to provide an update about the pandemic in Chile and also share a try this in class tip. Before getting into the main topic, we'd like to provide an update about the seemingly never ending pandemic in Chile. Some areas have started opening up over the past two or three weeks, including my neighborhood of Ninoa and Jose Luis's neighborhood of downtown Santiago. I do have to say it's been nice being able to go out for a walk without needing a permit, but I still worry about the virus spreading as people start going out more. Have you been out much, Jose Luis? Well, not really, Daniel, because I've been evaluating students and that has taken up a lot of my time. But I did get the chance to go for a walk and ride my bike, and let me tell you that felt awesome after... For months, I would say. Riding a bike with a mask on may be a little difficult at the beginning. But yeah, I think we'll, we're going to get used to that eventually. Yeah, actually, I've also gone on a bike ride with my mask. And it wasn't too strenuous, but I did notice it was a bit harder to breathe. And I mean, I think also just so much time being sedentary, you know, like actually doing physical activity now feels like it's really, really difficult. And with a mask on. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so in addition to that news with the pandemic and things opening up, the second semester has started here. Pretty much we're all facing the reality that teaching is probably going to be online for the entire second semester. So one positive thing that I have heard is that teachers feel much more prepared to teach online this semester, which is helpful for everyone. The parents of some of my students told me that their children's elementary school teachers are dressing up like characters from books and characters from history. And I think that's a great way of engaging young kids. Yeah, I agree with that. I've talked to some of my colleagues and friends and they say that they feel more comfortable and like you said, prepared. You know, teachers have been looking for new tools and approaches to teach English more effectively. I've been doing that myself, you know, reading articles, talking to colleagues to find out what they've been doing, you know, and I've been, I usually ask them, it's like, so if you need to teach, let's say language, or if you need to teach listening skills, where, like, what do you do? And we've been sharing, you know, websites and apps and many other tools, or like maybe with you, like you're using Zoom or Meet or, you know, different, different types of tools. Yeah, I mean, that's great that things are going better. And I mean, I think this is so key to teaching, you know, collaboration, working together, community. I think that's one thing that I really, really value and I think is important. So moving on, Daniel, we would like to share a Try This in Class tip, something you can use with your adult students. So Daniel, can you tell us about it? Yes. Okay. So this is something that probably should have occurred to me much, much earlier, you know, given the pandemic, but it didn't really occur to me until I started talking with a student about this in class last week. So when you're teaching adults, you know, in one-to-one -one classes, it's pretty common to talk about your families and your lives. And we got to talking about how we're managing our time responsibilities regarding work, family, studying, you know, everything that we're all managing. So we started talking about our guiding principles related to work, family, studying, what those things were like before the pandemic and what they're like now. So it's become more and more difficult to establish these boundaries, particularly for many of us that are working from home and work and home are now the same place. And so this leads us to our try this in class tip, which is to think about your own guiding principles related to work, family and studying and talk with your students about, you know, what their guiding principles are. I should add that I'm referring to them as guiding principles instead of rules, because when I hear the word rule, it sounds like something inflexible. 
And at least for me, it carries a negative connotation. I feel like guiding principles shows what we value and what we're working towards, but it isn't so rigid. And as we mentioned earlier, it doesn't look like we're going to be going back to in-person classes anytime soon. So if we haven't really defined our guiding principles yet, now is a really great time to do so. So we talked about things um, that we do either consciously or unconsciously. So one of my students' guiding principles is that her family always has lunch together during the week and they don't allow any screens at the table. One of my principles is once I finish my evening classes during the week, I close my computer and I don't allow myself to do any more work until the following morning. Another one that I've developed is that I always do a focus mate session dedicated specifically to class planning every morning before my first morning class, no matter how early it is. I also don't allow myself to teach more than two weekend classes. Otherwise, I start to get burned out. And my students also talked about making sure she's devoting enough time during the week towards helping her son with his homework. So, Jose Luis, have you done anything like that? Yeah, I like the way that you used uh, the word principle. I agree with you because it's something that, you, that, that can guide you and you don't have to do it. You know, you're not forced to do it. And I think all of us who are involved in education and teaching have realized that we're not going back to face-to-face -face lessons. So we need to adapt to this new context, you know, and we'll have to make some changes in the way we approach how we live and how we work, especially like you said, because we're working and living in, in the same place. One of the principles that I've been focusing on throughout this period is to get ready as if I'd be leaving my apartment to go to, to university. For example, I would take a shower, have breakfast, and then sit to start working, you know? So in that way, I feel really prepared. It's not that like some people like, you know, working in more comfortable clothes. No, I get dressed, you know, I wear, I don't know, jeans or something. And uh, also I like reading. So I've been enjoying that a lot and I try not to spend too much time on my phone if it's not really necessary. Like you said, maybe you turn off your computer. I, I just like, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to check my phone. I'm just going to focus on the book. There you go. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point about preparing as if you're physically going to teach your classes because I think that really puts you in the mentality. You know, you're teaching, you're working. Even though we're still working from home, we still need to give quality classes and provide a professional experience for our students. And I think that's easy to forget, you know, when we are, you know, sitting at our kitchen table, you know, giving classes and things like that. Um, yeah, I think that's another thing, you know, uh, the screen time. So I'm pretty good about it with the computer. But when it comes to my phone, it's still really easy for me to get sucked in with Facebook and things like that. And, you know, WhatsApp and all types of things. So, yeah, I mean, that's one thing where I feel like I need to be more disciplined and, you know, I need to be doing more reading. Yeah. And just thinking about this overall... I find, at least for me, putting my guiding principles into writing, it really helped me clarify what's important to me and how I think I can best work and live in the current situation. And as this year goes on, I think we really need to be clear with our boundaries. And also, we need to clarify our values, especially in regards to how we're spending our time. And in addition to that, I think this is a really great way to have a practical, real-life conversation with your adult students. Absolutely. I usually talk to my students and, you know, besides class and I say, hey, so uh, how are you dealing with, you know, studying? Are you do you need any help or how are you, you know, uh, improving your listening skills? So I think in a way, uh, not only in class, but also, let's say, the way that they are approaching this, uh, let's say, pandemic and how that has affected their lives. So I think absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. So and I think that's really, really valuable with you teaching university students, you know, because study habits are so important for them. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, like, that's why I really sometimes I, I just ask him, like, okay, so if you would like to improve your reading skills, like, are you reading anything in English? Are you reading a novel? Are you reading an article or something? And they say, yeah, yeah, that they are trying to read. Some of them really like reading in English. So try defining and talking about your guiding principles with your students and let us know how it works. So you can write us at podcast at eltinchile.com with your comments and questions. Again, that's podcast at eltinchile.com. So moving on. We'd like to continue our conversation about teaching pronunciation online. So we're actually going to do this episode through a series of four questions. The first one, what are some of the challenges we see related to teaching pronunciation to Spanish speakers, specifically in Chile? Well, so Daniel, uh, like I said in, in the previous episode, it's very difficult for us Spanish speakers not to include an extra sound, especially when the word starts with an S. For example, I can think of gas station. Because if we pause between both words, we as Spanish speakers, we're going to include an extra sound, a schwa in between, and it would sound like gas station. So I think that's going to cause many problems. And it's it, uh, it's hard for students, let's say, not to include that. And also I see another problem, Daniel, when the opposite happens, when we have a word like especially, when you really have to focus and say especially because we are telling students to say, you know, not to include extra sounds, but when the, the sound is there, it's also a little difficult. So that would be one point. Okay. Another point that is hard for us is to pronounce words that have CH as in chocolate and SH as in sushi. We do use both sounds in Chilean Spanish, but if we pronounce words with an SH, it may carry a negative connotation. For example, let's use the word leche, milk, and I can say leche in three different ways. I can say it leche, which is usually considered to be stilted, you know. Leche, which would be the standard pronunciation, and then we have leche, which is uh, a different type of pronunciation. I don't know if you would like to say something about that, Daniel. Yeah, so from what I remember hearing Chileans tell me, different pronunciations of the CH sound are associated with different social classes. So um, people make these judgments, and I think this is, goes back to what we were talking about with accents and identity, pronunciation, things like that. And, you know, this makes me think of something that happens in the United States. So um, if we have the word nuclear, right, the standard pronunciation is nuclear. But what you will hear is there are some people that pronounce it as nuclear. And so people really make fun of people that say nuclear, you know, uh, because it's not the standard pronunciation. You know, so I think that we, uh, we see that same thing happening in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, let's say, it's really hard to just say, okay, this is the only correct pronunciation, because, of course, this can also be uh, an example of, like you said, an expression of social class, you know, of discrimination as well. So that's one point. So it's very difficult for Spanish speakers to pronounce those sounds. And also because there are some words in English that are written with CH, but are pronounced as if they had an SH sound, like Michigan, chef, machine, etc. So as you can see, these two sounds are kind of problematic. Yeah, that's a really good point about the CH having different sounds and different words, you know, um, and I think that's one thing that we forget, um, you know, as, you know, knowing English. And if we take a look at words like busy, so the letter is U, but the sound is it, like a short I sound. If we look at the word money, it doesn't have the O sound in it, it has the U, short U sound, money, not money. Yeah. And so I think that these are things that we've learned, but that we forget. Absolutely. The last difficulty that I would like to mention, Daniel, is that in Spanish, we don't make a difference between B and B because they are allophones of the same sound, as in travel and trouble. So that's also problematic because in English, the entire meaning of a sentence can change if we change just one letter. For example, bet and bet. Definitely. Yeah, I've noticed that too. 
And so what I do is I tell my students that they need to really look at my mouth when I'm pronouncing the word. And I also teach them to use clarifying words like B as in baby and V as in Venus as a way of communicating clearly, particularly if they have to spell their names or if they have to spell something over the phone. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, Linda, you mentioned the, the example of when you need to say something over the phone. And let's say if you, let's say pronounce those letters and actually people who speak English, they can actually differentiate them. You know, I've seen that, you know, happen because my last names, let's say they, I mean, both last names have different uh, B sounds. So, you know, I've seen that. So that's, it's really good of you to bring that up. What about you, Daniel? What are some of the challenges you see about teaching pronunciation here? Yeah, well, I think one of the things is there's a lack of awareness of spelling patterns and how different letter combinations can make the same sound. In the same way, we have the same letter combination that can make different sounds. So think of the following words with an O-U-G-H in them. Through, thought, enough, though, and rough. They all have the same letter combination, but different sounds. So another example has to do with silent letters particularly with an E at the end of a word that usually indicates a long vowel preceding it. We see this in words such as like, spelled L-I-K-E, and file, F-I-L-E, and page, P-A-G-E. But then we have words such as live, spelled L-I-V-E, and have, H-A-V-E. So there we have the short sounds. We don't have the long sounds. To make matters worse, Live and live are spelled the same exact way, but the pronunciation of the short and long vowel is what makes a difference in meaning. Totally, Daniel. Silent letters are usually a problem, like you said. We Spanish speakers would like to pronounce everything we see. Every letter we see, we would like to pronounce. Also, short and long sounds are really hard for us since we don't find them in Spanish. Yeah, I remember working with um, a student who was, she was at like, I would say probably an intermediate level and... We had to have classes at that point, I think like maybe two, two and a half years together. So she knew my accent, but she was still really struggling with like, you know, like coat versus cots, peat versus pets and things that were like really pretty basic for me. But um, she really struggled with it. And I'm like, okay, you know, what? I really need to learn how to teach this better. And I know it wasn't just her. And, you know, as I'm learning more and more about teaching, You know, I'm like, okay, this is something I need to really explicitly teach. And, you know, I need to figure something out, you know, with how to teach this effectively to students. Absolutely. And I think sometimes like some teachers may take pronunciation for granted. It's like that you're just going to absorb pronunciation. There are a few things that we need to explicitly teach, like you said, for example, maybe like, you know, those specific sounds like pit and pet or maybe like verb endings in plural forms. Things that may be or may sound basic, but... Yeah, I mean, if you think of the ED ending cooked, played, listened, you know, those things you have to explicitly teach it. So yeah, it just has to be done. You know, you can't expect students to just absorb it, you know, in that case. So moving on to our next question, what are the advantages and disadvantages to teaching pronunciation online? I would say that one advantage can be that we can incorporate technology directly into our lessons, especially if we want to share a website or an app. I mean, in my case, I'm using Zoom, so I'll just share my screen, you know, and that helps a lot because I can just show it like right then, you know, if I need to 
for example, show the pronunciation one where I would just share my screen and look at that website. That can also make the lesson more interesting and interactive because students can check words in real time. So I would just give them uh, an assignment and then we can do it in a couple of seconds, you know. How do you pronounce this word? Let's look at the dictionary definition and let's say the, the uh, pronunciation. That's really easy. Now, this advantage can be that it's hard to provide individual feedback, especially if you have a large number of students in class. Unless you use breakout rooms, because I'm using Zoom, and in my case, I can do that when I have oral tests and, and I can also record that, but I will have to watch them later, you know? Or if we devote one class specifically to oral practice, you know, students ask for immediate feedback. They say, so, you know, so what can you tell me about my performance? Do I need to improve anything? What do you think of my pronunciation? Etc. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, you made really good points here. And I think uh, the first thing about the screen sharing, it just makes everything so easy. You don't have to worry about the physical distance um, and students being seated too far away to be able to see what you're showing, like in a physical classroom. Yeah. And I also agree about the feedback. So one thing that I really enjoyed doing was when I taught Spanish and German in the States, and also when I taught like larger courses like university courses and Corfo courses, um, I was able to put the students into pairs and then, you know, I have them like in a line and then they would have a conversation and then I would have them switch partners, talk a few minutes, you know, switch partners. And during that entire time, I'm just listening to everyone yeah. and I'm taking notes and yeah. I can, you know, like I can point out what I'm hearing really, really well. I can, when I hear an error, you know, it doesn't really, I'm not correcting the student right at the t at that moment. But then when I bring everyone back, I can say, all right, you know, you had a great conversation. Here are some of the things that you said really, really well. Okay, here are some things we need to look at with our pronunciation or our grammar. Yeah. But, you know, so I think that worked really well. But you can't really do that. You know, could you imagine having a Zoom meeting <laughs> and having your students talking in partners, but they're not in breakout rooms? I would go crazy. It would be absolute chaos. It just doesn't work. So, you know, luckily we do have breakout rooms, but when they're in the breakout rooms, you can only be in one room at a time. Yes. You know, so um, I think that that makes it more challenging in that we can maybe give some feedback then, you know, in that pair. But, you know, like going around to all the rooms individually like that. I think that would be really, really time consuming. Absolutely. So, well, I think that one of the disadvantages to teaching pronunciation online is that getting a group of students to give a choral response can be very difficult. So students are connected from different locations and the audio doesn't always sync up perfectly. You know, they don't necessarily have a steady internet connection. So being able to hear students and correct their pronunciation in this way is much more complicated. So a way that I've heard the teachers use to work around this is that they ask students to put their microphones on mute. And in that way, they can practice speaking confidently without worrying about being out of sync. So that would obviously need to be supplemented with the teacher checking in on each student individually or in small groups. So it isn't perfect, but I think it's pretty effective. I think that's a very good strategy, especially if we consider that the audio quality, like you said, sometimes not really synchronized or there are some connection problems, you know, and like you said, imagine Imagine just listening to everybody, to all the students at the same time. It would just be chaos, you know? Definitely, definitely. So despite that, there are a few advantages to teaching pronunciation online. So first of all, you don't have that physical distance that you have in physical classrooms. That means that everyone can see your mouth when you pronounce words, no matter where they are. In addition, if your classes are recorded, students can play the video back as many times as they'd like to see the pronunciation. That's true, Daniel. And sometimes, you know, some of my students do not feel comfortable showing their faces. 
And for me, that's that's fine. But I can at least hear their voices. And in that way, I can also provide feedback, you know? Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting point I haven't thought about before. So students don't necessarily have to have their camera on when they're speaking. I mean, I think it would make it easier to communicate if you keep your camera on, but it's not completely necessary. So now we're moving on to one of the most important questions for language teachers. And that question is, what tools and strategies do we use with teaching pronunciation online? So like I said in, in our last episode, I usually focus on word stress, individual sounds and connected speech, depending on the level, of course. For example, there was one class where the main focus was music and instruments. And I know that the pronunciation of instruments is hard because students tend to place the stress on the wrong syllable. For example, some of them would say guitar instead of guitar, or some of them would say violin instead of violin, and so on. So I usually ask them how they would pronounce those words, and, and if necessary, I would show the right pronunciation using a website like dictionary.com or Oxford English Dictionary. Now, if students want to focus on individual sounds, I usually recommend two apps that you can find on Play Store for Android users and also on the App Stores for iPhone users, and both are free. So the first one is called Sound, and the second one is called American English Pronunciation. So I'm going to share uh, those two links in the show notes. Both apps are very interactive and they show you the different sounds you can find in English. Phonemes, diphthongs, triphthongs, etc. And both have quizzes you can complete, which can also help you to improve your pronunciation. And something I really like about the uh, American English Pronunciation app, that it has some videos showing the way sounds are produced. And I find that very helpful because you can just watch that, you know, go back and maybe and you can see uh, a person saying like, I don't know, cat, you know, like at. that's really important. Yeah, look at that. So I've heard of the app sounds before, but I haven't heard of the other one. So I'll have to check it out and experiment with it in some of my classes. Yeah, I think it would be really useful because I remember you mentioned the example of Rachel's English and some of them. I mean, one of the main things that you enjoyed about that. Uh, YouTube channel is that you can see her mouth, you know, so it usually has a close up video or like of her mouth. So in this app, you, you can also have the same and you can also, let's say, uh, watch that on your phone. So that's, let's say, much, much easier. What about you, Daniel? What do you use? Well, I found that sometimes students had to have a difficult time pronouncing a word. So I show them different pronunciations. I do this through two main websites, youglish.com and forvo.com. So, Jose Luis, you actually talked about Youglish in one of our earlier episodes, and it does a really nice job of showing the pronunciation of a word in the context of something like a TED Talk, a speech, a TV show, or a movie. Forvo is like a pronunciation dictionary. It lets you search for a word and then click on various pronunciations of the word. It also indicates what country the person is from, so you can note different accents. I love Youglish.com, and students love it too especially because it shows words in context, like you said. I've used it in many class activities. For example, I usually choose words that could be uh, problematic for students in terms of sound, word stress, and sometimes if the word has two alternative pronunciation. I can think of examples, words like Catholic. Some people might say Catholic, you know, because that's what we say in Spanish. Uh, delicate, some people might say delicate. Root, or some people might say route. Ottawa, because in Spanish we say Ottawa. Tennessee, people might say Tennessee, you know, things like that, and violinist, you know. So I, I try to keep the, the, this list of words under, you know, 10 items because that's doable in class and I don't want to overwhelm students with just, let's say, finding the pronunciation of, let's say, different words. So, and after that, after we finish this, you know, maybe checking 10 words, we can move on to another activity. Yeah, you know, that sounds like a really great idea because I think that um, students need to get information in like bite-sized pieces. And, you know, we need to make sure what we're feeding them is manageable. 
And so if you give them something like eight to 10 words, something like that as maybe a warm up for every class, it's really gonna help them with the pronunciation and practicing, particularly if you spread it out over an entire semester. One of the things that I've developed in like an organic way is making an association of a word with an action or something memorable to help my students with their pronunciation. So I've noticed that Chileans have trouble with the ew sound in words like suit and juice. And so I'll tell them to think of changing a baby's diaper or cleaning their cat's litter box. And what is their thought when they smell the diaper or the litter box? Ew. So I then show them how the ew sound is in the middle of the word with the UI spelling in suit and juice. In addition to that, I will show them other words that have the ew sound but with different spellings, such as Tuesday, flu, as in both F-L-U and F-L-E-W, new, as in both N-E-W and K-N-E-W, and more. I think that's a really great idea because we all tend to make sounds to express emotions, you know. We can also use them to teach something. And, you know, I also try to emphasize intonation, you know, because and you can also express meaning with it as well. Definitely, yeah. And, you know, this makes me think of uh, maybe one of my favorite things with pronunciation to teach. So um, have you noticed that when you're teaching the alphabet that sometimes your students for the letter R, they'll say like air? Yes, that happens yeah. all the time. <laughs> so, yeah. So what I say is, you know what? This is your chance to be a pirate. And do you know what a pirate's favorite letter is? R! <laughs> yeah. And so then I usually tell a corny joke like, do you know what a pirate's favorite state is? Arkansas. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so usually with those corny jokes, then if I have them spell something, you know, I'm like, oh, you have to say it like a pirate. Arr. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. Like you said, it happens all the time. And they say, er. And they say, no, it's, it's not er, it's are. Because also er to er is also a verb. So, you know, so that you can, you, you're actually saying another another word. Definitely, definitely, yeah. And so, yeah, you know, like, so I'll have the students say, like, R, and, you know, like, I make them use their intonation and their enthusiasm, Yeah, you know, that's great. Uh, to remind them of, like, being like a pirate. So, yeah, I think that intonation and that, you know, that enthusiasm is really important. This takes us to our last question we're considering today, and that is, how can teachers learn more about teaching pronunciation? Well, I think we need to consider two things when teaching pronunciation. Number one, the goal is to be able to communicate with other speakers, not to only focus on the production of specific varieties. Number two, the teaching of pronunciation should, should involve more than just listening and repeating what the teacher says. It should involve understanding how pronunciation works in the target language, how similar or different the language is from the student's mother tongue. In addition, as teachers, we can predict our students' strengths and weaknesses when it comes to pronunciation, especially the sounds that are more difficult to pronounce for them, like the ones we have mentioned above. We can then focus on those difficult sounds. We also need to include more technology, and there are many resources like the one we have shared in this episode. Don't be afraid to teach pronunciation. It's lots of fun, and students really appreciate it. Yeah, I think those are two really great points. So I would actually add on to the first one by saying that we need our students to be able to communicate with other English speakers whose first language isn't English or the student's first language. So I've actually been fortunate because I've been able to do this with some of my students. And so what we do is we connect and we play Catan online. So I've taught some of my students to play Catan. We play in English and we connect with one of my friends from Japan. So he's also learning English 
And so it works out really, really well that, you know, you have a native Spanish speaker and a native Japanese speaker that are now communicating with English as the common language between them. It works out to be really good practice for everyone. We have a really great time, you know, so. And I think your second point is also really important. I feel like we're lucky that we have students that are Spanish speakers because many of the sounds of English are similar to ones that exist in Spanish, right? So we do have more phonemes, you know, when it comes to vowels, you know, um, than we do in Spanish. But the sounds, I would say they are pretty similar. If you consider a student whose first language is Russian, however, they would have a much more challenging time with the sound system of English and the different alphabet. So um, thinking about this, I think one thing that we can do as language teachers is figure out a system that works for us and our students. So I watched a talk by Adrian Underhill, and he makes the point that in addition to being about speaking, pronunciation is also physical and it is visual. No matter who you're teaching, it's important to help students see and feel what it's like to make different sounds. So maybe you'll use the IPA chart if you know it well and if your students will need it, but maybe you will just use your own system like what I do. Because if your students aren't preparing for to be linguists, or if they aren't preparing for a profession that will require an extensive language of the IPA chart, I don't really think it's necessary for students. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's true. I mean, for some for some teachers, the IPA chart is really useful. For while for some others, it's really difficult. And if if you find it useful and if if it can help you maybe clarify one specific point, that's great. But you don't have to use it. You can also let's say adapt or create your own system or maybe uh, simplify the IPA chart to use in class. And I agree with you, Daniel. Uh, pronunciation involves emotion. You know, actually, in some international exams, there's, this is a question that usually appears. You know, what did the speaker imply when he or she said? And they usually talk about emotions. You know, did he or she feel angry or upset or sad? So you really need to be able to uh, understand the way emotion works in terms of, let's say, a meaning. And also, the apps that I shared above are based on the IPA chart. So, like I said, that can, that can help students who will be language professionals. But I've also used them in my particular case with students who are learning English for other purposes. And they have found them useful when, for example, studying specific sounds like a ah, as in cat, mat, pat, etc. So, that because that sound is really particular in English. So, they really need to be exposed. And I think, in a way, the symbol, the a, ah, it's really graphic. So, it, it really helps them connect with that sound. Definitely, definitely, yeah. And I think this is one thing if you do have visual learners, you know, um, English File does a great job of this, creating their own phonemic chart where each sound has a picture associated with it. And I think like for the short I sound, they have a fish. And so like this, the I is like, you know, the body of the fish, you know, and I don't remember the others. I think there's like uh, shower. So there's like, you see like a guy in the shower for the sh sound and things like that. So, um, yeah. And, you know, there's one last thing that I think about. Um, so a friend recently told me about a great podcast called Subtitled, and it's all about language and linguistics. And they actually just had a four part series about pronunciation. So I haven't really gotten to listen to too much of it yet. I've gotten to listen to one episode and it is really, really well done. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I don't know about you, Jose Luis, but I feel like there's so much more we could talk about, you know, related to pronunciation, but we do have to stop at one point or another. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are many things we can talk about. Like we've been talking about specific sounds, accents. Also, let's say 
the way that speakers see themselves as, for example, proficient speakers or, let's say, uh, intermediate speakers just based on their pronunciation. Uh, and I think this is really, really important. And also, we've been trying to explain this from our, let's say, teaching experience, the way we teach it. And also, uh, and also, I think the importance that students give pronunciation, you know, and uh, like we said, it is important, but I don't think it's the most important point. But yeah, we can go on forever. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Well, we're not going to go on forever. So <laughs> having said that, that is it for this episode of ELT in Chile. We hope you enjoyed this conversation about teaching pronunciation online. Remember to try talking with your students about their guiding principles when working from home. So if you have the time, it would be grateful if you could follow us or leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, you can write us at podcast at eltinchile.com. Again, that's podcast at eltinchile.com. Thank you to Carlos Sepulveda, Nicolás Román, and Andrés Ranz for producing the podcast and maintaining the website www.eltinchile.com. I'm José Luis Poblete. And I'm Daniel Gwem. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay kind, and keep, keep on teaching. teaching.